You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Hello, tipsters. This is Melissa Morgan, the host of Just the Tipsters, America's favorite true crime podcast, because people are awful and kill each other. Hi, tipsters. This is Melissa Morgan, host of Just the Tipsters, America's favorite true crime podcast. Have you ever wanted to kill someone? Hey, oh, tipsters. This is Melissa Morgan, host of America's favorite true crime podcast, Just the Tipsters. And what makes Just the Tipsters America's favorite true crime podcast? It's because I said so, that's why. That's okay, right? I can say that? I mean, guard! Just the Tipsters with Melissa Morgan is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, YouTube, Stitcher, the Radio.com app, and wherever pods are cast. Subscribe, rate, review. You'll be glad you did. Hello, Hellions. Welcome to Fresh Hell. This is Annie, and I'm coming to you from somewhere between Boston and Salem, Massachusetts. And I'm Johanna, across the Atlantic in Vienna, Austria. And that was Melissa Morgan from Just a Tipster. And she's not only as funny as this promo sounds, but also extremely kind. And she has this amazing voice, absolutely professional. So she covers solved and unsolved cases. And the cool thing about her podcast is she even has a tip line. So you can call if you have any information on any of the cases or cases she hasn't covered yet. And you have a lot of binging material because this lady is at episode 132, I think. It's amazing. It's so good. I love that podcast. It's a new favorite. So yeah, please give her a listen. Go subscribe and leave her a wonderful review, please. Oh, Johanna. Big news. One of our listeners got a Hellion tattoo and her story in the Facebook group about getting it. It was just, it was really wonderful. It looks amazing. And you know, now I need a Hellion tattoo too. (laughs) I never wanted a script tattoo, but my artist, actually, he makes incredible ones. So I will beg him to draw up something nice for me. Oh, nice. When you get a podcast related tattoo, you should wait until I'm over there and uh, we'll go together and I will film it for you for posterity. Well, then please get your butt over here, lady. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, something else happened. You got a shirt I saw. Oh my God. Yes, yes, yes. The coziest sweatshirt. So friend of the show, Tammy, uh, she's one of the Facebook moderators and a friend of mine. uh, She made me a sweatshirt that just says flappable on it on the front. And that's from our Halloween episode. And it just it sincerely it made my day. I had just gotten back from an infusion where they missed well, they didn't miss the vein, but the uh, IV popped out twice. And so saline started pumping into my arm and third time was the charm that day, but it wasn't a great day. So that that was pretty awesome. So thank you. What else do we need to discuss before we get into today's story? I have two things. First of all, I want to say thank you to another one of our moderators in the Fresh Hell group, Erica. I just got a huge package today full of American treats like Twizzlers and Tootsie Rolls and peanut butter cups and all that. I was It was amazing. I'm so thankful. I love American food. Yeah. And the other thing is I had the absolute honor to be guest on the podcast, your podcast or mine. I had an interview with the host Sherry. She has this amazing podcast where she interviews different podcast creators, like from all different genres. And we will post a link to the episode once it drops, but you should definitely check her out. You will find recommendations for a lot, a lot, a lot of interesting podcasts. 
I can't wait to listen to you. I hope I didn't embarrass us. I'm sure you didn't. Unfortunately, Annie couldn't join us. I was in the hospital getting my infusion. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's exciting. I can't wait. So, Annie, what fresh hell do you have for us this week? Well, my personal hell is not even the infusion thing. It's the fact that I'm trapped in that space between where the last Botox for migraine injections have worn off. So I have full range of motion in my face, which normally is a good thing, but not if you get Botox for migraine. And I'm still several weeks away from the next round. So I'm in this kind of space where you really... I can't do anything if it's a full-blown migraine, or it still does help a bit, but you still get a lot of the aura and the prodrome. So like I'll get vertigo, which I'm getting a lot lately. That's apparently a new symptom. Or my favorite, which is everything is kind of okay, except I can't see anything properly. And my cognitive skills take a vacation. So <sighs> fucking migraines. It's... Yeah, it's been a week. So rant over. I'm so stressed. I'm not going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to stop talking about it before I cry. Hot, angry, frustration, tears. <laughs> but it's just frustrating when you can't, I mean, the story of my life, the story of a lot of people's lives. I know we have a lot of listeners that deal with chronic illness and migraine isn't even the worst of them, but it's just, you know, how it gets. It's like sometimes when all the things are flaring at the same time, it's just, you know, it's a very Job-like week. So It's all good. But yeah, I found a lot of really, really terrible murders that I'm looking forward to covering soon. But many of them were just, it's like they were so, so sad that I thought it might be better to wait until after the holidays. Yeah, I know which cases you're thinking of. And I think that's actually a good idea. Right? On the first day of Christmas, Fresh Hell Podcast gave to me <laughs> missing and murdered babies. Nope. No one wants that. Nobody wants that for Christmas. You know, there's a reason that isn't in the lyric, right? Right? I could rewrite that song, but make it very, very dark. I am 100% certain you just inspired one of our Hellions to do <laughs> just that. <laughs> I think we should get to the story. Before we lose all the caroling purists. Okay, so today we are going to talk about a phenomena that I've always found interesting and terrifying. Spontaneous human combustion. Uh, I always thought that's just a myth. Is that, is that really a thing? <laughs> okay, I can't wait to hear about it. Any warnings for our listeners? Well, I mean, we're going to talk about spontaneous human combustion. So the episode might be a little gross. Maybe don't listen when you're eating, especially if you're having barbecue. I don't just... Just, you know, um, we're going to be talking about things like cremation and other fiery facts. So yeah, fair enough. I think that sounds good. Yeah. And I'd like to send this one out to my mom, who has also been not feeling well lately. And she's the one who always let me buy those absolute rags at the grocery line checkout, the Weekly World News, with like stories of alien abductions and Bat Boy and conspiracy theories and cryptozoology, which is, uh, that's the study of things like Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster. And I've always my whole life been fascinated by weird and terrible things. And I was always allowed to have that indulgence when I was homesick, which was rather often. So thanks, Mom, for encouraging that. And uh, we watched every episode of Perry Mason, Diagnosis Murder, Murder, She Wrote. You get the idea. You and me, same. <laughs> 
I love it. All right, let's get to the good stuff. Spontaneous combustion is 100% a real factual thing that happens all the time. According to the National Park Service, quote, spontaneous combustion or spontaneous ignition, as it is often called, is the occurrence of fire without the application of an external heat source. Due to chemical, biological, or physical processes, combustible materials self-heat to a temperature high enough for ignition to occur. According to the National Fire Protection Association, an estimated 14,070 fires occur annually from spontaneous combustion, end quote. So, if you or any of our listeners have a compost pile, you might be familiar with how hot they can get. And it's why you have to be very careful with oily rags in your garage. Or if you're lucky enough to have a barn with animals in it, then you have to be careful about manure or dirty hay piles on a farm. Because those can also spontaneously ignite. Yeah, yes, of course, this can happen. It's science. But how can a human body generate such heat from itself? Well, can it? We don't even know, really. There are a lot of theories on that, but for now, we know some materials generate their own heat source, starting a fire without a spark, if you will, which is, you know, direct opposition to the Springsteen canon. <laughs> but can humans just spontaneously combust, leaving behind only ashes, which are finer than what you'd even get back from a crematorium, when there's, like you said, if there's no external heat source, no spark to start the fire in the first place? So I'm here to tell you that the answer to that question is definitely maybe. Definitely maybe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Probably not, but it's a solid maybe. I love your myth debunk <laughs> episodes. <laughs> you always go into them thinking that you're going to prove that these things are real. I and do. I think then because of your thorough research. I know. It's kind of a bummer. But also, I will say I'm still very open-minded to these sorts of things because as much as we can't prove that it's a real thing, we also can't disprove it, you know, so maybe we'll see. But there are accounts of this going way, way back. People who believe in spontaneous human combustion will tell you that there are over 200 documented cases, which I'm now going to refer to as SHC, just because spontaneous human combustion doesn't roll as trippingly off the tongue as one might hope. So yeah, these stories go all the way back to the 1400s, even earlier, really. But in the 1400s, there's an account of a knight who literally drinks too much and starts vomiting fire. I think we can discount that one. But one of the earlier ones that is is really sort of compelling is the 1731 conflagration of the Countess Cornelia de Bondi. Yeah, so her death is brought up a lot, but there isn't really that much information on her life. So I just did the tiniest amount of digging. There's honestly not that much there, but she was born to a noble family. Uh, she married into another noble family. They had a passel of noble children. I know this is all very surprising. <laughs> her daughter, so they're Italian, so I'm going to say Anna Teresa. So she married Count Marco Aurelio Braschi. Their son, which would be the Countess, Countess Cornelia's grandson, was Giovanni Angelo, and he was born in 1717. And I'm telling you about him because he would later be known as Pope Pius VI. Yeah, he was uh, the nemesis of Napoleon. Well, you know, one of them at <laughs> least. He excommunicated the French emperor, but I, I don't even want to talk about it. It's a whole thing and, <laughs> and it would lead to war. So forget about it. <laughs> okay, so did Cornelia see her grandson become pope before she passed away or? No, yeah, alas not. She, um, well, she combusted rather spontaneously. <laughs> so there's a lot of early, <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. It's like, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. 
It is funny. And I laugh about these things because they are funny. The later ones, not so funny. But I think it's okay to have a little bit of a laugh at these early ones. I mean, listen, she had a pretty good run. She was in her 70s and she was nobility, right? So worst ways to go. There are a lot of early accounts to choose from, but the description of her aftermath of her death is really quite detailed. So she died on March 15th, 1731, or as you would say, 15th of March, 1731. And that year, a study was written about her death by the Veronese historian Giuseppe Bianchini. In 1745, Paul Rowley translated this paper uh, for the Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society of London. All right, you're going to laugh at me. I spent way too long transcribing scans of this document that is, it's written in a script that makes all the S's look like the letter F. So it's a lot of like, they enjoyed great f- 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 like very like Stephen, you know, from <laughs> Snowflakes. I was laughing the whole time I was trying to transcribe this and it took me forever with my one good eye. And it turned out it was on Wikipedia. I really need to use <laughs> Wikipedia for my sources more often, huh? <laughs> Are you kidding? That's always the first thing I look up. You know, it's it's great to get a general overview. It really is. It is. And for some reason, I don't fully trust it. Lesson learned. I'm all about Wikipedia now. <laughs> Time oh, though. Oh, good. I'm overdue then, is what you're saying. <laughs> so I transcribed this damn thing. So now let's read it and discuss. You're going to love it. The Countess Cornelia Bondi, in the 62nd year of her age, was all day as well as she used to be. But at night she was observed when at supper, dull and heavy. She retired, was put to bed, where she passed three hours and more in familiar discourses with her maid, and in some prayers, at last falling asleep, the door was shut. In the morning, the maid, taking notice that her mistress did not awake at the usual hour, went into the bedchamber and called her, but not being answered doubting of some ill accident, opened the window and saw the corpse of her mistress in this deplorable condition. Four feet, so about 1.2 meters, distance from the bed, there was a heap of ashes. Two legs, untouched, from the foot to the knee, with their stockings on between them, was the lady's head, whose brains, half the back part of the skull, and the whole chin, were burned to ashes, amongst which was found three fingers blackened. All the rest was ashes, which had this particular quality that they left in the hand when taking up a greasy and stinking moisture." The air in the room was also observed, cumbered with soot floating in it. A small oil lamp on the floor was covered with ashes, but no oil in it. Two candles in candlesticks upon a table stood upright. The cotton was left in both, but the tallow was gone and vanished. Somewhat of a moisture was about the feet of the candlesticks. The bed received no damage. The blankets and sheets were only raised on one side, as when a person rises up from it or goes in. The whole furniture as well as the bed was spread over with moist and ash-colored soot, which had penetrated into the chest of drawers, even to foul the linens. Nay, the soot was also gone into a neighboring kitchen and hung on the walls, movables, and utensils of it. From the pantry, a piece of bread covered with that soot and grown black was given to several dogs, all of which refused to eat it. In the room above it was moreover taken notice that from the lower part of the windows trickled down a greasy, loathsome, yellowish liquor, and thereabout they smelled a stink without knowing of what, and saw the soot fly around. It was remarkable that the floor of the chamber was so thick smeared with a gluish moisture that it could not be taken off, and the stink spread more and more through other chambers. End quote. 
Huh. I don't even know what to say about that. Bluish <laughs> moisture, stink. Mm -hmm. I mean, that sounds like some spooky fuckery to me. I know. It gives a lot of clues, though, too. So he then goes on to say that what he believes was the cause of death. So under remarks, it says, quote, It is impossible that by any accident the lamp should have caused such a conflagration. There is no room to suppose any supernatural cause. The likely cause, then, is a flash of lightning, which according to the most common opinion, being by her sulfurous and nitrous exhalation from the earth, having been kindled in the air, did penetrate either through the chimney or through the chinks of the window, and did the operation. All of the above-mentioned effects prove the assertion, for those remaining foul particles are the grossest parts of the fulmin either burned to ashes or thick and into a viscous, bitumous matter." Bitumen again. If you heard our Tutankhamun episode, you might remember the tarry substance. That's really a disgusting thing to imagine. I know. Thanks, Annie. It's gross. I, I warned you it was gross. And I know that this description, part of the reason I like this is I feel like it's even more awful in a way than even the photos of remains in more recent cases. So it's, I think it translates well if you're listening, if that makes sense. So he goes on, quote, Hence no wonder the dogs would not eat of the bread because of the bitterness of the soot and the stink of the sulfur that lodged on it. Sorry, this was also the case once when my mom made pork chops. She was so afraid of undercooking them and everyone getting, um, is it trichinosis that you get from undercooked pork that they came out like charcoal and even our beagle would not eat them. It was, we used to laugh all the time about the pork chops even the dog wouldn't eat. That means a lot. Yeah, it really does. It really does. So I digress. Quote, impalpable ashes of the lady's corpse are also demonstration for nothing but a fulmin could produce such an effect. They say that there was not any noise, but maybe there was, and they heard it not being in a sound sleep. Besides, there have been lightnings and fulmina without noise, as one may very often observe. End quote. So do you know what fulmina is? I had to look it up. Uh, yeah, that was a German car factory before World War One. Oh. But I don't get what they have to do with any of this. Yeah, nope. So it's the Italian, apparently, for being struck by lightning or electrocuted. Ah. So. Okay, didn't know that. It's just cars for me, old cars. <laughs> yeah, I, I had zero references. I'd never even heard of the cars. <laughs> Okay, so basically she went to bed, stayed up late talking to her mate. She didn't feel well, but the next day the mate found her and she was mostly just ashes. Is yeah. that what we're trying to say? Yep, that's it. And a terrible smell. And everything was just literally dripping with... Um... Uh, yeah, grease from the person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, human tallow. So let's talk a little bit about tallow because it is important. So tallow was usually made from beef or mutton fat. It's solid at room temperature, unlike suet, which is used more for cooking. So like, this is a fun fact, a lot of English desserts contain suet. So beef fat, or here it's really common to use suet as bird food in the winter, but tallow can be stored for a lot longer than suet can without the need to refrigerate it as long as it's kept in an airtight container. The downside to using tallow candles is that they apparently stink. And they smelled so awful that the process of making them was eventually banned in several cities throughout Europe. So you know how bad things must have stank, <laughs> right? If this stuff was banned. I'm laughing because, yeah, European cities used to stink a lot. So bad. We, we touched briefly yeah. on the great stink of London. So like, if they banned making tallow candles, how bad must, I mean, yeah. 
That's bad. So beeswax was around, but it was really only for royalty, the very rich, or for churches because it was just so, so expensive. So back to tallow, though. These tallow candles would leave like a greasy film. And if you can make tallow from animals, then it's pretty likely that all that gluish, greasy material was just the fat from the countess's body. Uh, we use tallow too. We put the seeds in for the bird food bowls, you know, yeah, for that's, winter. Yeah, yeah, that's usually suet here, but it's so gross and greasy. Yeah, it's a bit bleh. Yeah. I can see the greasy stink being, uh, yeah, exactly that. Such tallow. a greasy yeah. stink. Ugh. So Charles Dickens, in the preface of the book form of his book, Bleak House. So previously, Bleak House, like a lot of Charles Dickens' works, they were published monthly as serials. So like it, there'd be like a chapter a month or a chapter a week or however it went. And then once they were completed, they'd be in book form. So in one of the earliest publications of the book, Dickens confirms that the death of the Countess was in fact the inspiration for the death of Mr. Crook. But he gets her name wrong, which honestly made me feel a lot better about my fears about regularly doing that on this podcast. Because like, <laughs> if Dickens got it wrong in print, it's going to be okay. So Dickens writes, quote, There is only one other point on which I offer a word of remark. The possibility of what is called spontaneous combustion has been denied since the death of Mr. Crook. And my good friend, Mr. Lewis, quite mistaken, as he soon found, in supposing the thing to have been abandoned by all authorities, published some ingenious letters to me at the time when that event was chronicled, arguing that spontaneous combustion could not possibly be. I have no need to observe that I do not willfully or negligently mislead my readers, and that before I wrote that description, I took pains to investigate the subject. There are about 30 cases on record of which the most famous, that of the Countess Cornelia de Baudi, Cesenata, was minutely investigated and described by Giuseppe Bianchini, prebendary of Verona, otherwise distinguished in letters, who published an account of it at Verona in 1731, which he afterward republished at Rome. The appearances, beyond all rational doubt, observed in that case are the appearances observed in Mr. Crook's case. End quote. So, Dickens's friend, Lewis, who uh, he's referring to there, he was actually the lover and I think later on the husband of George Eliot, aka Marianne Evans, who wrote Silas Marner. All my literature majors will know what I'm talking about. Did you ever have to read Silas Marner? No, we just, in, in school, we just read German and Austrian authors. Oh, you escaped, you dodged a bullet with that one. I know I'm going to have people coming at me. Yeah, in English, we did uh, a little bit of Shakespeare and Jane Austen, which, yeah. No, I don't know why I even asked you that question. Of course, there's no reason you would ever be forced to read Silas Marner. Yeah, Old Man in the Sea, no problem. Could reread that for days, but Silas Marner, that was tough. Anyway, Lewis was really critical and concerned about Dickens's use of SHC because so many people believed it as a result of reading about it in Bleak House, right? But Dickens just doubles down and he cites a whole bunch of sources. But the only real problem is that most, not all, but most of the stories that he were claiming were all from a single source. And that source was Robert McNish's The Anatomy of Drunkenness, which was first published in 1827 and based on his doctoral thesis. So McNish was a Glaswegian surgeon who wrote a book uh, that was sort of devoted to alcoholism and the effects on the body. It's public domain, so I can link to it in our sources if you just want a good laugh. But he devoted at least a chapter of the book to the phenomena of spontaneous human combustion, which he claimed apparently tended to happen to alcoholics or drunkards, and you'd be pretty safe if you were a teetotaler who abstained. 
Uh, yeah, the Victorians believe that alcohol might turn to gas in your system and they probably made you more flammable and, you know, they only sort of understood oxygen. So I can, I can see where the, the idea came from. Exactly. And Dickens is thought to be, you know, partly to blame for the fact that so many people like me really kind of thought that spontaneous human combustion was kind of a thing. Like, yeah. So Dickens is thought to be partly to blame for the more widespread belief that spontaneous human combustion is really a thing, when probably there are other explanations, at least most of the time. I read a few articles that said that the Countess sometimes rubbed alcohol on her aches and pains, which, I mean, she also apparently bathed in it. I mean, it's a thing. Is it? Do you do that in the States? We have that here. No. Rubbing alcohol, yeah, yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. well, yeah, I've had that done to me when I had a such a high fever. No, it's here when you have uh, pains in your joints or in your muscles when you were like hiking for three days straight or things like this. And you get into a bath of rubbing alcohol? No, you don't bathe in it, but you rub it all oh, over. Oh, I was thinking that would really burn your nether regions. Like, you know what I'm like imagining? <laughs> yeah, bathing in it is like, hmm. Yeah, that seems like a hard pass, but okay. No, I don't think we rub alcohol on anything. It just seems like a waste of alcohol. It feels good because it, it cools down. Well, that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So they said that that's probably why this happened to her, but the original source was an Italian making these claims. But if you guys do do it, then I believe it then more. But I also think that if it were that easy to burst into flames around alcohol, there would be more people bursting into flames around alcohol, right? Like, think about all the shit you see when you're bartending. <laughs> like the drunks, like <laughs> dropping, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I saw several people catching fire, but because of the candles and long hair. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. All the time. And you would also think <laughs> all, the all the time. Just people, listen, don't do it. Don't drink and smoke with long hair. It's a bad idea. But yeah, you just think that if it was that easy to burst into flames, right? Like, so like every moonshiner during Prohibition, it would just been like, poof, 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 poof. Like, I think that just happens when they are not careful and something, you know, catches a spark and right. they explode or, yeah. <laughs> they just poof. <laughs> not, just... not the people, the, the alcohol. I think it's like Paul's biggest pet peeve in movies. He hates it when a cars explode in films because he's always like, that wouldn't happen. It's much harder to make a car explode than that. It drives Paul crazy when cars and things explode. It's like they shot the gas tank, pow! And Paul's like, it doesn't work that way. So it just, it makes me laugh. But you'd think, so it'd be like, this is the human equivalent of that. It probably just doesn't work that way. <laughs> like, but maybe though, maybe, sometimes, we'll see. So do we believe that lightning killed her though? Because I think that was the final verdict. Well, maybe we should just blame, you know, what always is to blame when there's no solid explanation. You know it. <laughs> ball lightning. Ball lightning. Our old friend. Oh, it's great to have ball lightning to fall back on. I'd say that ball lightning and SHC are probably in the same category, right? People really, really want to prove how it happens. But first, they have to prove it's actually a thing that happens. Mm. <laughs> so it's possible that she was struck by lightning. But I think the way her body was found, and the things that, you know, had and hadn't burned, like the candles are melted and the lamp oil is gone, but the wicks aren't burned. I think it's probably a lot more likely that she wasn't feeling well, which is why they describe her as feeling, you know, being okay during the day, but then dull and heavy at night. Mm. I think dull and heavy is another way for saying, I'm going to start using that because Paul is always asking me how I'm feeling. Like he'll text me all, how are you, how are you doing? How do you feel? How's today? You know, and next time I'm just going to say dull and heavy. <laughs> 
off. And so I think though she probably just got out of bed. She wasn't feeling well. And maybe she dropped dead. Maybe she dropped dead of a heart attack. Who knows, you know? Yeah. She might have just fallen, lit herself on that oil lamp. And that was it. Her body caught fire and the fire just burned and burned until it ran out of fuel, you know? So in more modern cases, when there's a closed door, one theory is uh, that the body acts as a reverse wick. So instead of a fatty tallow candle with a center of cotton fiber as a wick, humans are sort of the opposite. We are fat covered in cloth. So wrapped in a big old wick. So tests have been done using pigs wrapped in blankets, blankets I think. I think there pigs and, I think there was a pigs and blankets <laughs> test. Oh, I don't know. You know, it's you can see it, it's on YouTube, but I didn't I didn't actually watch it because I was afraid I was gonna get sad about the pigs. Um I was like if they're if they're in little if they put them in like pajamas, I think I would have cried. So but I think they just put I think they just put the pigs in blankets. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm hungry. All right. So. <laughs> straight to hell. I'm going straight to hell. It's fine. But yeah, so sure enough, the tests that they did, they proved that a fire will burn until it runs out of fat or oxygen. So someone else can explain this a lot better than I can. Uh, Jennifer Ouellette, she wrote an article for Scientific American, and she writes, quote, a 1988 experiment conducted by Dr. John DeHaan of the California Criminalistic Institute for the BBC TV Science Program, QED. Dr. DeHaan took a dead pig, wrapped it in a blanket, and placed it in a furnished room, then set fire to the blanket with nothing but a match and a bit of gasoline. Pig flesh is the closest to human flesh, so pigs are frequently used in these sorts of experiments. It took a while for the pig body to catch fire. The body isn't highly flammable, but once it caught, it burned at a high temperature and low flame, burning for several hours until Dahan extinguished the fire. The flesh and bones in the burned part of the body were reduced to ashes, but there was almost no damage to the rest of the room, except for a melted TV set. Dahan reported that the heat from the burning body collected at the top of the room, making it hot enough to melt the appliance, end quote. Yeah, trust me, it's really hard to set a body on fire. How many times have you tried? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we see this all the time in, in true crime cases. Like, we're mostly yeah. water. I'm mostly cheese. So, whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm like Rockelette, if you like me. It's possible that lightning could have killed her and lit her nightclothes on fire, creating the wick effect. But I think, you know, like in most alleged SHC cases, I think, you know, the fire... I'm going to hope the fire started after her death. I always tell myself that every single time. I'm like, oh, she died first, then she caught fire. So it makes me feel better. All right. So now we're going to take a look at some of the more recent cases of spontaneous human combustion. But before we do that, we want to tell you about our first sponsor. It's a really fun puzzle game and it's free to download and it's called Best Fiends. Yes, we are fascinated by true crime and, you know, all manner of dark things. But uh, researching a podcast like this can get super heavy and Best Fiends is a really great way to take a break from the macabre. Even though in real life, I'm not a big fan of bugs, the bugs in this game are actually super cute, aren't they? They are stinking adorable. They're so bright and fun. It's really exciting when you find a new one. And I also kind of dig that they are battling slugs. 
Oh yeah, this game is definitely more of a stress reliever, at least for me anyhow. Lately, I'm playing this whenever I can. I find it great for when I'm in the hospital, especially on infusion days, which I've played it a lot the last two weeks, or having a bad day with my health and I can't leave the house. I just don't mind. I get a little fiendish. So I spent three days at the hospital this week and I'm now at level 295. What? Yeah. Yeah, and when you pass a friend in levels, you get another key to a prize crate. So there's just a lot of really like thoughtful extras in this game. I'm delighted by it. Oh my god, you're so ahead of me. I'm at level 67. And you can play it offline too. So I love that when I'm flying to Austria to visit you or the next time on a cruise. I think it's just amazing that it's a game you don't need Wi-Fi to play. So we just love, we love this fun, challenging, adorable game. So engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust us, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. So, let's take a look at a couple of the more recent cases. One of the most well-known is the case of Mary Reeser, and I honestly think it's the most probably the most easily explained. So in 1951, when she passed away, Mary was a lovely 67-year-old widow who had some issues with her health. She had moved from Pennsylvania to Florida four years earlier. I think because of a few factors, my research indicated that her husband passed away about the time of her move. So I think she was like left living alone in kind of an area of the country that gets cold and snowy. And it looks like her son, Richard Jr., who was a local doctor, he lived in Florida. So she relocated to St. Petersburg, Florida to be near to him and her daughter-in-law and her granddaughter. So that all makes perfect sense. The night before she died, uh, or was found, her son Richard and Mary's landlady, who has a great name, Mrs. Pansy Carpenter. Isn't that a great name? I love it. I love it. Pansy. I think that's great. They had been visiting with her, and they both had left by 9 p.m. I think her son left first, and then her landlady left. When they left her... Mary was relaxing in her chair with her bad leg sort of propped up for relief in her very highly flammable nightgown, smoking a cigarette and getting ready to take a few second all tablets. Uh, these are sleeping pills? Yeah, really strong ones. So, second all? Okay, now you're going to love this because guess where I went for this? This is a direct quote from Wikipedia. Quote, Secondol possesses anesthetic, anti-convulsive, sedative, and hypnotic properties. In the United Kingdom, it was known as quenal barbiturate. It is the most frequently used drug in physician-assisted suicide within the United States. Although secobarbital is considered to be an obsolete sedative hypnotic, it has largely been replaced by the benzodiazepine family. Secondol was widely abused, known on the streets as, quote, red devils or reds, end quote. So, yeah, those are some pretty heavy sleeping pills. You, they yeah. really gave them yeah. the good stuff Got back it. in the day, right? <laughs> now it's like, try a little melatonin, best of luck. You get better stuff than we do here. Like, I never got uh, muscle relaxants, even with my bed back. Not even cyclobenzaprine, which is non-habit mm -mm, forming? Nothing. They only give you, like, um, what do I get... It doesn't matter It now. doesn't, But, no. yeah, I never had muscle relaxers. Huh. All right. So the next morning, a telegram arrived from Mary. She'd been planning a trip up north to visit some people, and it looks like it was all the finalized details for that. And so Pansy received the telegram and went to go deliver it to Mary. And when she touched the outside doorknob to her apartment, it was really hot. So she immediately left and went and called the police. So this is before 911 was a thing, way before. So I'm guessing in the 50s, you just called the police for everything? Yeah. 
You'd think you should call the fire department, though. I know. I bet the police back then just dispatched, like, whatever was needed. You know what I mean? Like, you just call the cops and then they'd sort it out. Mm. However it happened, when they open the door, they get a blast of heat and are just greeted by a horrific sight. So in the corner of the room, there was a large pile of just ashes. At first glance, it might have looked like the chair caught fire and was reduced to ash until you might have noticed the lower part of a left leg and foot that were completely unburned, still wearing a slipper. The only identifiable remains were that unburned leg, a few small pieces of her backbone, and maybe a shrunken skull. Maybe shrunken? Yeah. So there's some debate about that. I couldn't find photographs. You know, I looked. There's debate as to whether it was actually shrunken or did it just look shrunken? Like, I don't know. If they said, you know, well, skulls look a lot smaller without any tissue and skin and stuff on them. But I would think that I'm confused about it because it, they always say how it's a shrunken skull. And they mentioned this in a few other cases, the skull was shrunken, but I can't find any photographs of it. One of the things I read suggested it might have just been a lump of like charred muscle. Mm -hmm. There's so much ambiguity because a skull under that level of heat should just explode. How would the... Yeah, it would just... Even yeah. be possible. So yeah. they consulted a lot of experts trying to figure out what happened and how it happened. And they even sent some materials and remains to J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI to see what they could come up with. Okay, and what did the FBI think? So in the end, it was decided that Mary had taken two strong sedatives, and I think her daughter-in-law mentioned that she had skipped dinner that night, so that might have also uh, affected how heavily those sedatives hit her on that empty stomach. And so more than likely, she had fallen asleep while smoking and dropped a lit cigarette on her extremely flammable, I think it was a nylon acetate nightgown, and the rest is a result of the wick effect, because fire burns upwards, but it doesn't generally like leap from side to side. So they think that explains why her foot didn't burn. Like fire doesn't go down, it goes up, you know. Also, the walls and floor of the apartment she lived in were made of concrete. So that helps to explain why the fire didn't spread. Yeah, that's a good explanation. So many people die because they fall asleep while smoking, as if smoking alone wouldn't be dangerous enough already. So oh, yeah. yeah, that that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, when I used to be a smoker, my parents would always never smoke in bed. Yeah, mine too. Yeah. Mm. And I should note, there are a lot of photos out there that are claiming to be Mary's remains, and they're not. They're actually a different spontaneous human combustion case. They're those of a man who burned to death in his bathroom. So if there's a toilet in the photo, that's not the Mary Reeser photo, even though it's attributed to being her. It's another one of those. What was the case? Um, oh, Lincoln, the vampire of... Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it's another one of those things where it's like, that's not the right photo. So if there's a toilet in the photo, it's not Mary Reeser, it's John Irving Bentley. He was a 92-year-old retired doctor who seems to have accidentally caught himself on fire while smoking a pipe. They said he also kept, like, spare just wooden matches loose in his robe, and it looks like he had accidentally caught on fire, gone to the bathroom to put it out. It looks like there was, like, a cup in the toilet, and his smoldering like somewhat damaged robe was in the bathtub. So it looks like he like threw some stuff off, but then didn't get everything sorted and passed out and died. And then again, became a sort of human wick situation. But very often you'll see uh, he burned right through the floor, all ashes, same as the others. And so if you, yeah, if you see that foot photo, people think that's her because that's all that was left of her was that foot, but it's not. That is the doctor. And so there is another case though that is similar to Mary. And 
probably has the most startling and upsetting photograph, and that was the 1964 case of Helen Conway. So when you look at this photo, you can absolutely understand why people would believe that it's spontaneous human combustion, because her body is just gone. It's just completely disintegrated to ash, but her chair is still mostly intact, as are the tables surrounding her, both her legs, all the stuff on the tables around here. I understand, you know, I get it. People will understand what I mean when they see the photos. But again, we have an older woman with known health problems who was also a smoker. And in fact, they did find a lot of cigarette burns around her home, indicating that she was a somewhat careless smoker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is the thing that so many of these cases have in common. They're often older people usually ill or challenged with their mobility in some way, and they're usually smokers. They're also often women who suffer from osteoporosis in their dotage, although men can suffer from osteoporosis as well. But in that case, you know, their bones would turn to ash much more easily than a young, healthy person's would. So yeah, I think in, in all of these cases, the wick effect caused by careless smoking was to blame. But there are a few other theories. So two of these theories about what might cause SHC are a little bit complex, but people wrote books about them, so I don't want to get them wrong. So I'm going to go ahead and read to you again from that same Scientific American article by Jennifer, I think it's Ouellette is how you would pronounce it. Here is the first. Quote, a man named John Hamer wrote a book called The Entrancing Flame in 1996, in which he advanced his hypothesis that SHC victims are loners who fall into a strange kind of trance that triggers a reaction of, quote, mitochondrial explosions, end quote, by, quote, freeing hydrogen and oxygen within the body. That hypothesis might make sense if hydrogen and oxygen actually existed in gas form inside a mitochondrial cell, but they don't. And a good thing too, otherwise the very act of inhaling could cause spontaneous ignition. End quote. Yeah, that's not a thing. (laughs) I know. And that's what the Victorians thought was happening, right? Because with the oxygen thing, they thought that it was just, they knew you needed oxygen for flame. And so they thought maybe that was all somehow related. And that, you know, by inhaling that oxygen, it would come in contact with the alcohol vapors and just poof. So yeah, not a thing. And so the author then goes on to explain the second theory. And I know that you are going to love this one. So (laughs) (laughs) all right. Okay. Quote, even more far-fetched is the take of a man named Larry Arnold, who thinks that occasionally human cells get hit by a mysterious particle. He calls it a, quote, pyrotron that causes a nuclear, nuclear, chain reaction inside the body. We give Arnold points for creativity and coming with a really cool moniker for his imaginary new particle. (laughs) A pyrotron sounds really cool, much cooler than his alternative hypothesis that too much stress causes folks to burst into flame. Alas, it does not exist, end quote. Yeah. Jennifer. I agree. This is not... So... Yeah. There are other theories uh, from people in ketosis that are uh, either intentionally putting themselves into that state, either through diet or because of illness. They'll have an acetone buildup and acetone is flammable. So maybe that's why they burst into flame. Or again, there's the old belief perpetuated by Dickens that alcoholism will make you burst into flames. But Again, probably everybody listening to this knows a current or former alcoholic and smoker. And if that were the cause, I think the CDC would have issued a warning by now. I mean, it just, Mm -hmm. 
I think it also, it probably happens a lot less often now because we just don't use such highly flammable materials in our clothing and in our furniture. And people are fortunately smoking less. And I say that as somebody who would still really love a cigarette. But if you're young and listening to this out there, don't ever smoke. Don't even not even one cigarette. Don't do it. It's the worst thing I ever did. All right. So honestly, I could go on and on and on. There are just so many fascinating cases that claim to be spontaneous human combustion. And some of them are really fascinating claims, but I just couldn't verify a lot of those claims. So like there's one where it was like a retired firefighter who dies in his bed and weird stuff around his house. So like the hot dogs in the fridge were boiled and the all the water had evaporated out of the toilet. Like these really interesting cases, but I just couldn't verify enough of the information to to really include it. So I will link to a bunch of sources and leave you to do any further reading on your own and just dive down whatever rabbit holes you might find. When I was in school, I knew a guy who <laughs> he once had told us the tale of a friend of his who just started to go up in flames because he was concentrating too hard while doing homework. No. Was he smoking at the time? I don't know. Was, was he smoking and painting his nails and drinking green alcohol? <laughs> Oh, yeah. So one of the important things to remember here, though, is that while spontaneous human combustion is probably not real, probably, spontaneous combustion is absolutely a real thing. So please do not leave piles of greasy rags or, you know, flammable materials lying around. Don't do it. And don't smoke. Quit smoking. Gives you wrinkles. So, yeah. Thank you, Annie. That was really interesting. And I think I was right in the beginning when I doubted the existence of UFC. <laughs> I'm not 100% convinced that, like, we think we know what happened, but do we know for sure? Yeah. <laughs> I think it was super interesting to hear all the different theories. It was great. It was, really. yeah, it was, I had to rein it in with this one because honest to God, I could have made this a 10 part or like I could, you know how I am. Yeah. So I had to kind of just zip, zip it in, focus, you know, but we'll post photos as we always do. And um, I'm looking forward to hear what our listeners think. So, you know, please get in touch. Let us know. So how about something good for this week? What have you got for me? My something good for this week is I managed to get everything done in time, like cleaning, shopping, decorating. Nice. Um, you and I, we managed to get everything ready for the podcast. Yes. So now I can enjoy the holidays with my husband, who is home now for Christmas. And we will have my family over for Christmas, which is a first, as we always, usually always celebrate at my dad's place. So we are super adulting over here this year. Nice. I'm planning on making a little video for our Hellions in our Facebook group. I think if they're interested when I'm, you know, decorating the tree, because we do a lot of chocolate and sweets and candy and Mm. to show all of that. And yeah, I love Christmas. I bought the tree. It's beautiful. It's way taller than I anticipated, but it's okay. It still fits. Oh, good, 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 good. It's three meters tall. (gasps) That is tall. I think ours is two and a bit. How about you? Yeah, we did. We found a good tree this year. And then as soon as we finish recording today, I'm going to start cleaning and decorating and getting the house ready for our family. Uh, My sister Lucy is coming in from the UK for Christmas this year. And I'm just, I'm so excited and happy I could cry. So she's technically my late husband's sister, but I think honestly, she's my parents' favorite kid. So it's fine. (laughs) And my nephew, who is now this like extremely tall, handsome young man, he was only three or four the last time we had a Christmas with them. So they usually come out for the summer holidays. They don't like the cold, which I get it. But Christmas just never... Sorry, all of a sudden I'm crying. Nope. (laughs) And that's when Andy had a nervous breakdown. (laughs) 
And that was the end of the podcast. <laughs> you can write to her at Bellevue Hospital. All right. Uh, so yeah, it just never, it just never really feels the same when they're not here. You know, it feels, it just feels like we're missing something. So yeah, I just, and Ian, my brother-in-law, he's like a brother to me. I just, I love them all there. It's great. So I'm just super excited they're coming and I'm just, like keeping my fingers and toes crossed that I'll be well enough to enjoy things. And I think it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be great. Yeah. We're all going to have a great Christmas. We are. It's going to be awesome. It is. And Hanukkah falls over Christmas this year too, which is nice. That's made it a little easier for me because some of my nieces and nephews celebrate Hanukkah. So then I can remember that everything goes out at the same time. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Please come say hi. Check out our socials and join our Facebook group. It's called Fresh Hell Murder Mystery in the Macabre. And what else, Johanna? Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. Check out our merch store if you want. You will find the link to it on our social media and on our webpage, freshhellpodcast.com. We have like hoodies and mugs and t-shirts and whatnot. Yeah, I think that's it. That's it. So until next week, if you're going through hell, keep going. Tschüss. Bye. Bye.